1: coming up on today's podcast
0: god didn't want to create a robot for loving behaviors god wanted to create a free agent whose love would originate from within him or herself god has no choice he has to allow us if we're going to be free beings,
1: to do evil to other human beings Welcome on in to another episode of the Spirit-Filled Media Podcast with Deacon Steve Greco of Spirit-Filled Hearts Ministry. I don't know about you, but there are certain people who walk among us that are so brilliant, so full of remarkable insights, that it's just mind-boggling. There is one such man in the church today that we are very blessed to bring before our microphones on this episode. Father Robert Spitzer is a well-known author, professor, and television personality. He's also president of the Magis Center and host on EWTN's top-rated show, Father Spitzer's Universe. On today's enlightening podcast, Father joins Deacon Steve to talk about the concept of why God allows suffering in our lives. So let's get started on part one of this two-part series. Here's Deacon Steve Greco. I am so incredibly
2: excited to have Father Robert Spitzer with us today our topic is why god allows suffering thank you so much father for being here on the show it's
0: my honor thanks uh, steve for having me
2: is so amazing he is the former president of gonzaga university for 11 years the current president of the magis center and he has been a jesuit since 1983 And I have to say one of the most influential priests and, and men I, I have ever met. And I have to say that I'm not trying to placate you, Father, but <laughs> it's just really a thrill to have you here. And the, again, the whole area of suffering is so important. But mm-hmm. before we get into that, today, uh, when we do this recording, <laughs> is a particular important day it's the feast day of St. Peter Claver. Mm-hmm. And tell us about him, because he was a Jesuit, and I know you know a lot about him, and he was a, quite an important uh, individual. So,
0: Yeah, a remarkable uh, Jesuit. He felt called by St. Alphonsus Rodriguez, who was uh, ostensibly a porter in Mallorca there, and, uh, but a prophetic uh, brother uh, in the Society of Jesus, called to work in the missions in the New World. And, uh, you know, particularly among the black slaves. Mm-hmm. And so he felt this calling early in his Jesuit career and then was reinforced uh, in it by St. Alphonsus Rodriguez. And then later um, he decides, uh, you know, that, you know, he's so convinced that he should do this that he'll uh, just go to the New World and uh, he'll go to Colombia. Uh, what is Columbia today, and just uh, work either with the black slaves or uh, work in the colonies there to, to try and you know get more just conditions. Well, as it turns out, he decides first to do this and hears about the destitute conditions in which these slaves are riding in the bottom of these ships that are going to the New World. I mean, it is terrible. And the stench and the, just the horrible conditions, the disease and everything. He went down into the bottom of those ships and lived with those slaves and served them, going back and forth to Cartagena. And -hmm. then as he gets off in Cartagena, he just sees the horrendous conditions that are being auctioned off. It's terrible conditions that are taking place. And he just decides right then and there, this will be my mission. And uh, by the time he was done, he had ministered to and baptized 300,000 black slaves. Praise God. 300,000. He did not stop right after, you know, when they left the auction block, Peter uh, Claver would say, I know who you are, right, to the slave owners. And he'd say, I'm checking up on you. And he did. He would actually go and he'd bother these guys. You know, and just say, you know, I'm, I'm checking up on, you know, how the, these slaves are doing. You know, and he constantly, vigilantly went after the rights of these slaves. Of course, he was never able to, to free them, but he was able to procure a better environment for them in many ways. And he was building on the shoulders of some other Jesuits who were very, very instrumental in making the slave trade a little more humane. I mean, it was terribly inhumane, and always was. Uh, They were never able to procure, at that time, freedom uh, for the slaves from the conquistadores and from the people who were the landowners. But uh, they did make things more humane, and he certainly baptized and served a huge number of them.
2: A lot of our listeners perhaps are not familiar with the Jesuit order or they've heard of it and so forth. Obviously our, our Pope is Jesuit, Mm -hmm. but tell us about society of Jesus and when it started. And because it's so Mm -hmm. important in our Catholic history and they, Mm -hmm. uh, for me anyway, being uh, trained at at the, uh, and going to Loyola University and now Loyola Mm -hmm. Marymont and and being part of the Mm -hmm. Loyola Institute of Spirituality here in Orange Mm -hmm. County for many years on the board. The Jesuits have been a huge influence in my life, but they have influenced countless number of people as evangelists, as educators, and so forth. So, if you
0: wouldn't mind giving us oh, a, a short background, not on that at all. Uh, just a uh, short background. This, that's problem. <laughs> <laughs> that's problem. That's <laughs> your biggest challenge. That's my right? biggest challenge. <laughs> but uh, I think everybody may have heard of Saint Ignatius of Loyola, who was the founder of the Jesuits. And uh, you know, here, you know, we're living in the mid 1500s. The Protestant Reformation is has started, it's initiated, and it's um, uh, manifesting itself in many different ways. Uh, Ignatius, St. Ignatius, uh, when he was first called, it was, it's a remarkable story. And it's a, uh, you can get a little book called The Autobiography of St. Ignatius, free online. Just go to you know, any Google search and put Autobiography of St. Ignatius, and there you'll get it. It's a fascinating, quick read about how God called this saint. And I won't get into it in detail. I'll just simply say he was a dueler. He was a knight. He was a ladies' man. He was a court man. He was uh, anything but a saint. And God, So
2: there's hope for some of us, aren't huh? I mean,
0: talk about a guy on the path of St. Augustine. Okay. Uh, St. Ignatius was one of those guys going definitely down the wrong road. And um, God had his eye on him. And so he was a very, very brave guy. He was at the Battle of Pamplona, and he's rallying his troops, right? He's up there at the top of this, uh, uh, this fortress. The French are attacking with a force that's almost five times bigger. And uh, he's just saying, don't give up the ship. And a cannonball comes sailing in wow. and actually hits him in the leg, mm. just shatters his leg. And so he survives it. And these French noblemen were so amazed by his courage that they uh, brought him to a, a basically a, a religious hospital of sorts. And, um, and there, you know, they tried to remend his leg, but they had a big splinter of bone sticking out of it. So he had to get it rebroken. He was so vain; mm. he just said, "Rebreak it and saw off the extra piece." I'm not going to. How can I go mm. to court with a bone sticking out of my leg. Wow! So, the, I mean, it almost killed him, mm. but it didn't. The recovery period was long. And of course, he said, please give me some books about knights and nobles and you know, damsels in distress that were in need of rescue. And the nun said, well, sorry, what we do have is a life of Christ and a life of St. Dominic and St. Francis and of course Ignatius goes <laughs> and, well i guess I'll I'll read those you know get bored out of his mind he's just sitting there in this bed so of course he starts reading these books and Christ is touching him
2: praise god
0: praise god the holy spirit is just invading this guy and of course he as he reads all these things of the saint dominic and you know and all of his adventures saint francis and all of his adventures he's going if St. Dominic and St. Frank, right, he's macho to the hill. Right? If they can do these things, I can do these things, too. Mm-hmm. So he decides, I'm going to be a disciple of Christ. I'm going to be a saint. I'm going to get out there and do, you know, the, the right thing. So he does. He, he actually gives away his sword to this poor pauper, you know, you know sword and, and, you know, the, the shield of no- Loyola and his armor, and so, uh, of course, the, 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 the poor pauper gets arrested immediately. And, um, you know, they come over to him and said, Surely, Lord, you are not giving this to this man. And he goes, Oh, yes, he didn't steal it. I gave it to him. So uh, they said, Oh, gee, you know, that, very good. Then we'll, we'll uh, let him go. So he's riding a donkey instead of his horse. And he meets a moor along the, the road. And uh, uh, the moor challenges the virgin birth of Our Lady, and um, Ignatius was, uh, well, anyway, I, I'm getting going on too long, but he, he basically says to the Lord, he doesn't know any spiritual discernment yet. He goes, Lord, I really want to serve you, and this guy has insulted the integrity of Our Lady. I think you're asking me to run him through. <laughs> but in case you're not, I'll wait until my donkey and the bro, you know, gets to the fork in the road if he, my bro takes the same road, you know, that uh, the moor does, well, I'll run him through. If he doesn't, then I won't. So we, everyone in the Jesuits is very happy that the borough took the opposite road and uh, that the Society of Jesus did not get off on the wrong foot. But in any case, you can tell that he was inspired by the Spirit because he gave up his desire to uh, reconvert Jerusalem and became the great apostle of the Counter-Reformation and then, of course, St. Peter Canisius soon followed and, you know, in Germany and so forth. And the Society of Jesus had several thousand priests by the time St. Ignatius died. It grew like a weed, you know, I mean, like a like a tree. It was unbelievable how fast it grew and the, uh, the kind of quality of men that it attracted. And, of course, we take a fourth vow to the pope. Basically, to do anything, go anywhere. He asks us to go on a moment's notice, and um, we obey. Um, that is our charism, and uh, we obey our superior. To go anywhere, we're asked to go. Uh, what's called the magis, uh, the even more pertains to the mission. And St. Ignatius of Loyola just said there are three criteria for missioning anybody. What's the greatest universal need? And this is how I got into doing, you know, faith and reason for younger people, you know, give them evidence from science for God, the soul, and Jesus. What's the greatest universal need? Forty-two percent of our kids are leaving because of atheism. They're becoming agnostics, atheists, unbelievers, you know, according to the Pew survey. on a massive scale, 42 percent of our kids in the pews right now will leave for that reason. Number two question for Ignatius was simply this. Is anybody else doing it? I looked around. Nobody's doing it. Mm. Number three question: Are you capable? Do you have adequate competency to do it? And if the answer is yes, get moving. Amen. That's the majus. Even more, go and do it. Serve where the the, mm. the need is the greatest, and um, you know, don't get hung up by this or that little thing. Get talk to your superior about the majus and go for
2: it. And my brothers and sisters. Where we are is so fortunate to be blessed, because we have a Lord and Savior that says, "Come to me, come to me, you who labor or burden, and I will give you rest." and And the Lord is saying that you will do what I do and more. In John fourteen twelve, mm-hmm. and which is so incredible because we have the Holy Spirit within us, so that we can do the things that Jesus is telling us to do. And if you think about all of the evangelization that's happened through the Society of Jesus, I think of the movie, The Mission, which is one of my favorite movies, you mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm, and, and mm-hmm. just, you know, going all over the world. And then of course, all the different universities that they have started and, and still run. Uh, just, it's so wonderful again, to have this society that is done so much for the Lord, So fortunate to have Father Robert Spitzer with us, who is a former president of Gonzaga University, president of the Magis Center here in Orange County, California. And can I say you're a good friend of mine? I'd like to say that. Yeah, sure. And and he is just so special (laughs) and so influential to all of us. I know you've given uh, the talk uh, over the years and and recently even uh, why God allows suffering. And Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so many people right now, are struggling with COVID-19 and trying to understand it. You know, it it feels so evil. You know, it feels like the suffering that people are going through, maybe suffering of health, suffering of economic issues, just uh, relationships, on and on and on. So tell us about this, and and why
0: does God allow suffering in the first place? Yeah, and, you know, the first thing we want to do is make a distinction between does God cause suffering Or does he permit it, allow it in, as it were, his permissive will? Yes. And it's really the latter. Yes. Uh, You know, natural causes can cause evil to happen, right? So you could have an earthquake or, as in this case, uh, uh, COVID-19. Or human beings could cause evil. Yes. Right? So maybe, maybe somebody did create this virus in a laboratory. If so, it's got a human agent that caused it. So the first thing is God doesn't go around causing evil, but natural causes can be the reason for it. Human beings can be the reason for it. Social structures can be the reason for it, but God does allow it. And so the question is, well, why does God allow it? Let's split the question into two parts. First, why does God allow human beings to cause evil to other human beings? That's one. And then secondly, why does he allow natural causes to cause suffering uh, to other human beings? Well, the first one, the answer in a word is freedom, human freedom. That's the, the real reason why God allows human beings to cause suffering. So in other words, let's think about this for a second. If God didn't allow us to cause suffering to somebody or cause evil to somebody, then the only thing we could ever do is do loving actions towards other people. We never have a choice to do otherwise. Now, if we don't have a choice to do an, a, a loving action or do a loving, uh, an unloving action, on the other hand, then we're not free. And our love did not come from within ourselves, right? Our love didn't come, it wasn't initiated from within us. It was programmed by the divine programmer. So God wasn't willing to create us, to create me, as a loving robot. That wouldn't have been good enough for God. He wanted to make us in his own image and likeness. So what does he do? He says, okay, I've got to create Spitzer in a way where he can actually, he could cause and do an unloving action toward Deacon Steve. And of course, on the other hand, he could do a loving action toward Deacon Steve. But if he doesn't have the choice to do a a loving or an unloving action, he's not free. It doesn't come from within himself. It's just going to be divine programming. And God didn't want to create a robot for loving behaviors. God wanted to create a free agent whose love would originate from within him or herself. And then, of course, that would be in the divine image. And that's what he's seeking. So God has no choice. He has to allow us, if we're going to be free beings, to do evil to other human beings. By the way, he can't just come down and lobotomize people who use their freedom adversely. So Hitler comes along, and God can't say, oh, my gosh, he's going to do a lot of damage. And he lobotomizes him. And then, of course, he says, Stalin, too. And he lobotomizes him. Where do you draw the line? Spitzer's about to say something rude, and he lobotomizes it. So, I mean, you—you you, everybody would be running scared. We'd never be free, right? You'd never know, gosh, you know, I just entertained that thought. Am I going to get struck down right now? So God's got to sort of lay off us and allow the course of human freedom and natural causes, you know, to, to sort of run their way while providentially... Bringing an end to these things, right? So you you look at World War II, and you say to yourself, "Do I really think that God wasn't present in World War II?" Oh, I think in about fifty different, you know, the Battle of Midway, the. Normandy, the D-Day, I mean, if God wasn't present, I mean, there's so many coincidences that enabled all these things to occur in the way they did. They really shouldn't have. We should have really been pushed back right off those beaches in the Battle of Midway. How in the world did we ever win that one? You know, when uh, when, in point of fact, we should have lost it about five times over. Something just all those coincidences of timing. Hitler's of being asleep. He's not going to release the panzer divisions and so forth and so on. You look at all these things and you go, okay, God's really subtle, but he's providentially active. And as he's providentially active, yes, he's answering our prayers, but he's just not answering our prayers in the way we'd like. A bolt of lightning out of the blue teach those guys a lesson. But he needs us as human agents to cooperate. And when we do, when we pray, Believe me, we can move beyond suffering, but that's the first reason God allows suffering. He allows human beings to do suffering to other human beings so that we can be free, and that really matters. Otherwise, we're nothing more than loving robots. The second reason is harder, but I'm just going to give you a few quick examples, and that's why does God allow natural causes, earthquakes, diseases, you name it, to, to cause suffering to other human beings? Why didn't God create us in a perfect world so that we could be in our own perfect little pleasure bubble? Well, you know, in other words, we could just be in a bubble and we think to ourselves, gosh, I'd like some food, and there's the food. And then, of course, you go, gosh, you know, I think I'm feeling an ache in my finger, and it's done. It's finished. There's not even, the, you know, the remembrance of the ache and so forth. So God keeps us just like, you know, in the pleasure bubble and everything seems good. Why? Didn't he do that? Why does he give us challenges? Why does he do these things? I'm going to give you four answers here. Number one, because suffering brings us from the level of what I would call hedonistic pleasure seekers, it causes us to make sacrifices. Challenges are good for us, challenges muster from within ourselves courage we got to respond courageously we got to respond with nobility i'm going to make a sacrifice to do something right so i'm going to uh, try to uh, you know make a difference to somebody else or i'm going to you know respond by rising to the challenge you know disciplining myself and not letting myself get beaten down but courageously try to respond and keep responding by trusting in God's loving providence working through me. And if I can do that, you know, one of the, my examine prayers every day, you know, I just want to be courageous through trust, not fearful. Right? I'm just going to keep trusting you, Lord, until I get to salvation. But that's, a, that's the first reason is that, you know, suffering can be very, very good for us. Number two Suffering is a call to deepen our faith and to deepen our love. I go back to Second Corinthians twelve. Right here's Saint Paul, pray, you know, he's telling everybody, uh, you know, in Second Letter of the Corinthians about this thorn in the flesh he's been given, an angel of Satan. He says to beat him to keep him from getting proud. So he says, why? By the way, I think Paul was going blind. I really do. I think there's tons of evidence for this, not because I went blind, but because I think he was actually, in fact, in some ways, going blind. I mean, I can't explain the, the remark in the letter to the Galatians, right, where Paul says, I know you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me if you could have. You know, why would you say that unless mm-hmm. something's going wrong with this Or here, uh, my secretary wrote all this, but I wrote this in my hand in big letters, Why would you say that? Why in Acts 12, does Paul, who was a Pharisee and should have known who a high priest was, come out and say to the high priest, what would you have of me, you whitewashed wall? And then all of a sudden the attendant says, is that any way to talk to the high priest? Excuse me, sir, I didn't know you were the high priest. How would you not know if you were Paul? Unless you were going blind, and why call him a whitewashed wall? You know, that sounds like me. That's the way things are starting to look. like. I was going blind, so and you know the, the long and the short of it is there's a, certainly a reason to think this. But here's what Paul says. He says, "Okay, why you give me this thorn in the flesh? Whether it was blindness or whatever it was, why'd you do this? An angel of Satan to keep me from getting proud." He says, "I asked three times, and that means over and over and over again, like thousands of times. Asked three times that you know God would you know take this away from me, but he saw fit not to do so." And here comes the answer, because when I am weak, it is then that I am strong. When I am weak, Christ grows stronger in me. Amen. Exactly. And so, of course, there is the answer that, you know, he's saying, you know, I'm, pride is much worse than blindness, right? So, you know, the darkness of being self-centered and messianic, right, that's so much worse than going blind. He says, I'm going to take it. I like the weakness. I am in favor of it. I affirm it because it is preventing me from the much worse spiritual darkness of this kind of prideful messianism. And therefore, as Christ grows stronger within me, I get closer to heaven. And here's the deal. That's what we need. Amen. What we need is to get to heaven. And, of course, for St. Paul... The suffering is integral. It's not just suffering. It's suffering plus faith gets me to heaven. Faith without suffering takes longer. But the combat suffering without faith can lead to despair. But suffering plus faith will get me closer and closer to heaven. It's going to keep me more dependent on God. It's going to keep that vulnerability going. It's going to deepen my faith. It's going to make Christ stronger within me. It's going to deepen my relationship with Him. And if that's the case, suffering is a really good thing for deepening faith and getting to heaven.
1: And that'll wrap up part one of this two-part series with Father Robert Spitzer on the Spirit-Filled Media Podcast. Father Spitzer's President of the Magis Center and host on EWTN's TV show Father Spitzer's Universe I trust you found this topic of Why God Allows Suffering very enlightening today I know we say this a lot but it certainly bears repeating don't miss part two of this conversation as we share it in podcast form at spiritfilledmedia.org or wherever you get your podcast content now for more information on this ministry click on our website spiritfilledhearts.org. That's spiritfilledhearts.org. We'll see you again next time with Deacon Steve Greco and the team. This podcast is a ministry of Spirit-Filled Media.
0: If you're enjoying these podcasts, please consider supporting Spirit Filled Hearts Ministry with a one time or monthly gift. Spirit Filled Hearts Ministry is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. We are only funded by generous donors who believe in our mission to evangelize.